it's just so heavy. I almost felt like it's too much. I can't take it anymore. And you know what he said to me? You have to develop your spirit. He was like, you have to develop your spirit. He said, because if you develop yourself spiritually, they will not be able to touch you. That's how you will stay free. That was gold for me. That was it. When he said that, that became the most important thing in my life. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrup. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. I am thrilled to welcome on this week's show, Siri Rishikar. Siri Rishi is a Kundalini yoga teacher, and she really is the high priestess that the world needs in these strange days that we're living in. Welcome to the show, Siri Rishi. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. I'm so excited to be here with you and just dive in. I met you through, I don't know, four or five years ago in a Kundalini yoga studio in New York. And, you know, Kundalini yoga has been a thing that's deeply touched me in my life. And I just so appreciate your unique transmission of these practices. And I think just as a way of getting started, I'd love to just hear your perspective at the highest level. Like what is Kundalini yoga? Kundalini yoga is many things for me. <laughs> <laughs> Lately, more and more, I've been like uh, rediscovering what it is, but to make it very simple, it is a very dynamic practice. It is a, a practice that encompasses a very physical component, a lot of breath work, um, mantras that help us meditate and help us really learn how to understand our mind and the inner workings of the mind. And as well as that, you know, deep relaxation, deep meditation is a big part of Kundalini yoga and sound, sound current meditation, sound mantra, but also physical movement. And that's, we call them Kriyas. And there are these incredible, like dynamic sets, and there's hundreds, if not thousands of them. And they all have an objective, like one might be for the kidneys, one might be for the heart chakra, one might be for prosperity. <laughs> you know what I mean? They all have all these different names, you know, and different titles and different objectives of what they're working on. And just the word Kundalini, let's just break that down. What is Kundalini? It sounds so exotic. It sounds so other, but it's you, it's me. It's literally the most potent creative energy that you have inside of your body. It is your genius. Kundalini yoga, what we're really doing is we're igniting that energy. We're igniting that energy within us. We're igniting that awakening within us. And when it's stimulated, this beautiful force of energy that's in all of us, when we do certain things and we stimulate that energy and that energy starts to move through the spine, basically everything starts to open. All of these different pathways within us start to open. Uh, all of our, like, our psychic abilities, our clairvoyances, our, our ability to feel that oneness again, to tap into that oneness again, to remember the oneness starts to awaken. And so, that's to me, uh, 
I mean, I could go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go on. <laughs> Shall we? Yes. Yeah. Such a, such a, a magnificent kind of description of these practices. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, when we think about yoga, like the first thing that comes to mind is like downward dog in a, in a studio, you know, and then going into Shavasana and, and being guided through certain asanas. And so Kundalini yoga is a bit different, right? It is not that type of yoga that you might think of at the, like the corner yoga studio. Kundalini yoga, as, as you say, is like there's a lot of repetitious movements, kind of doing the same movement uh, back and forth many times while there's a breath kind of synced up to it and either chanting or imagining mantras in your mind, right? So it's, um, it's very inductive in that way. It's almost hypnotic at times. And, and so much of it is focused on the nervous system, right? Like the, the idea of like really getting deep breaths through these kind of repetitious movements and, and repetitious breaths. It's uh, at its essence, what I've found is, is it's really like the greatest nervous system training that I've come across, right? And I'm just curious if you could say a word or two about how these practices really do strengthen our capacity, our nervous system capacity and our capacity to metabolize the stresses of the day and live essentially just a more peaceful existence. Well, I love that you just brought that in. And that is the, that's the reality. I call it the yoga of the nervous system, or we call it, other people call it that as well. It's not just me, but it's like what we're primarily working with in Kundalini yoga is the nervous system, the glandular system, and I will say the subtle bodies. And that's maybe what looks different than say a traditional yoga class, a vinyasa, ashtanga, a Bikram. And we are doing all these dynamic movements. And that's because I always say Kundalini yoga is the rhythm is vigorous, relax, vigorous, relax, vigorous, relax. So what you're talking about, like all those repetitive movements, like calisthenics. I've done a lot of difficult things in my life, you know, and I think about like some of the most rigorous trainings I've done. Like I've done marathons, I've mountaineered, I've done, mm. you know, just spent a lot of time in the wilderness, uh, getting in dicey situations. And I have to say one of the, if, if I paint a picture here of like one of the most difficult things I've ever done, I walk into a gymnasium in Oakland, California, and there are several hundred people in this gymnasium. Everyone's wearing white. I'm, I'm given a white turban as I walk in and I wrap it around my head. And there's these lines of people. I think you know where this is going. <laughs> there's lines of people lined up across from each other. And I, I sit down in front of uh, a partner and we spend, I don't know, 12 or 14 hours in, in these Kundalini practices, culminating with a, a couple of rounds of 62 minutes <laughs> holding the same posture while breathing and chanting. So one of them was something like, you know, having your your left arm at a 90 degree angle in front of you and then your right arm on top, or maybe it's the other way around, I don't quite remember, but basically mm -hmm. holding your arms out, kind of folded on top of each other while looking in someone else's eye for 62 minutes. And my God, is that hard? And it sounds so easy, right? But after about 15 minutes of holding your arms up, the mind goes through all sorts of bizarre places about pain and collapse and escape and wanting to eject and all of these habitual patterns that we develop over time. And what I found is, it, you know, it took every ounce of, 
uh, mental fortitude and I had to go so deep and go so much, uh, so far mm. beyond my comfort of my habits of wanting to like eject that it, I walked out of there having the same feeling of finishing my first marathon, essentially. Like I fucking did that. Holy <laughs> shit. I cannot believe I held my arms up for 62 minutes. <laughs> so maybe you can help us understand what is happening. This is the white Tantra practice of Kundalini oh Yoga, right? Like 12, 14 hours of this where you go 31 minutes for some, 62 for another. Like what's happening in this practice? So white Tantra, first of all, I miss it. I'm, I'm so happy you bought that up. No, number one, I can't believe that's your first introduction to Kundalini. Oh, oh, just to be clear, it wasn't my first introduction to Kundalini, <laughs> okay. but it was my first. I was going to say, that, that is so crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'd been practicing for a few years and, and okay. um, someone, inv- I just didn't know what I was getting myself into, I think was no, the point. It's, it's such a great practice. Um, you know, what's happening in general when we do any Kriya, even if it's white Tantra or just a normal, normal class, what's happening is the Kriyas are imprinting in you a memory. I always tell people it's like a, a microchip. It's like every time you do your practice, whether you do it once a month or every day, every time you do it, you're imprinting a new memory into your whole entire system. And what's happening is when we get confronted, the Kriya confronts us and the Kriya and the meditations are there to show you yourself. So you get to see how you trip up in your life. You get to see where you want to run and what triggers you. And that's what the Kriyas are doing. And that's what white tantric is doing on a whole nother level. And then on top of it, you know, the idea that you're working with a partner and you're looking into each other's eyes. You know what's interesting about White Tantra? Your partner is not really the energetics that you're working with. It's the people that are in the diagonal line across oh, from you. So Those true. are the energetics that are really working with you. It's such a profound practice. Um, the other aspect is that it is clearing so much so fast. Now, okay. The mystical side, you know, without sounding too woo-woo. Um, Bring out the woo. We, we do the woo here. So Okay. Well, what I want to say is I feel like anyone who finds themselves in those rooms are really like people who have worked lifetimes to get there. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and I feel that way so strongly. It's like whether... It's the first time they're in that room or the third or the 10th or the hundredth that took so many lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's that compounded with like, it certainly felt like a lot of lifetimes on about minute 55. I think (laughs) (laughs) I I I had died about, uh, you know, 10 times in those, in the 62 minutes. So (laughs) whenever I'm in those practices, I always like, I always feel like it's, it could be my imagination though, because I have a yeah. very wild imagination. Um, but I can always feel like, wow, like we've all been here before. We've all been doing this so many lifetimes we've been doing this. When we go into deeply into these practices, there is this kind of like eternal quality to time. It just drops away, right? And we, we can feel kind of in all directions when we're in these uh, states of deep practice and insight and 
that's certainly one of the beautiful benefits and so much wonderment and awe and kind of appreciation emerge from those from those places of deep practice. Yeah. I'd love to just hear a bit of your own personal story. Like, how did you find these practices? You know, you strike me as someone who, you know, having known you for a bit now, Kundalini yoga is the focus. It's, how, it's your platform. It's how you teach. But you're, you, you strike me as someone who's done a lot more work outside of just Kundalini yoga to be able to, you know, teach from such a powerful place. So I'm just curious a bit about your story. Like, how did you find your way into these practices and anything else that's kind of informed your journey? Spirituality has always been a part of me. Like I've always been aware um, of my spiritual seekingness. Like I've always been, I used to always say, I've always been a seeker since I was a child. And I grew up in a very kind of Christian, in a loose Christian household, I will say. I go to church with my great grandmother on Sundays. And because I would watch her pray, I would learn how to pray through watching her, you know, that kind of thing. But even as a child, as a really young child, I felt very unfulfilled. I didn't grow up with my dad. I, I mean, my parents split up when I was really young. So I would visit my dad on like once a month or once a season, I'd get to go stay with my dad. My dad had a totally different world that he exposed me to which was much more aligned with who I am today in a sense of my dad was very spiritual. My dad was an avid faster. My dad was totally into like Native American practices. My father always made sure that he wanted me to know that I'm Native American. He gave me my first Native American Bible. He always told me, if you want to pray, you should just, if you want to go to church, sit with a tree. That's how he taught me. My father was a conspiracy theory person. He would trap me in the car at like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like he would not let me leave the car. He'd be like, no, I need you to listen to this. <laughs> he, would be, he would be playing some crazy like secret tape of something that I don't even know where he'd get these tapes from, but like it would be some kind of UFO sighting stuff from that to like what they're going to be doing to the future, to us in the future and how we're going to have, we're going to have a digit on our wrists and this is how we're going to be paying for our groceries and you need to stay away from credit. Like he was, uh. my father was like from five until, and I remember finally at like, you know, first of all, I always thought my father was batshit crazy. I used to just <laughs> be like, he's crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would just, I, not with the spiritual stuff, not with like the, what he was giving me as far as the Native American stuff, but it was like the, the secret tapes that he had make me sit in the car and listen to. That's when I was like, okay, he's crazy. But I would humor him and I would, I would just like kind of like let him hold me hostage and I would go along with the flow. But I remember one day, finally at like age, probably 13 or 12 or something like that, I remember saying to my dad, dad, this is so depressing. Mm. It's just so heavy. I almost felt like it's too much. I can't take it anymore. Like it's just too much. I think I said something like, what are we going to do? And he said, you have to develop your spirit. He was like, you have to develop your spirit. He said, because if you develop yourself spiritually, they will not be able to touch you. That's how you will stay free. And 
that was gold for me. Like that was it. Like when he said that, that became the most important thing in my life. My dad gave me more the structural aspect of just the curiosity of being a seeker definitely was implanted by my father. And that other, meaning that ability to travel a road that others don't travel, that definitely was planted by my father. I'm curious, as you, as you kind of became a bit older, at what point did you find this path of kundalini yoga and how did that kind of come into your life? So kundalini, you know, first yoga in general, um, and, you know, I, I do want to shout out to my great grandmother who's not alive because she's my ancestor and she walks with me. And I just feel like I, I really acknowledge the ancestors that walk with me. My great, great grandmother was a ministress. My great grandmother ran the church that she had started. So like, this is a part of who I am, you know, even though, and I used to, when I, when I started, um, you know, finding my own path, I used to always think, I wonder what my great grandmother and my great, great grandmother would think of like my way of walking. And I've always felt like they were only walking the way they walked because of the times that they were living in. I think that they were definitely priestesses as well, but I feel like they lived in a time where, you know, you didn't tell anyone you were a priestess if you were a priestess, you know, you kept that to yourself. Um, because, you know, being a priestess was very dangerous back then. I was about seven or six months pregnant. I walked into this guy's class. He taught a really good class and it changed my life. And I knew from that moment that I had to practice yoga. I really think my daughter has a lot to do with my practice because it was through her that I went to a Sita yoga ashram. That was the first time I ever went to an ashram. When I was nine months pregnant, I went with her dad. I was nine months pregnant. I just have to say that because it was dangerous for me to be up there <laughs> because there's no hospitals around there. And I went at my own risk. Her dad ended up leaving me there. Her dad, JD's a jazz musician from Detroit. So if you can just imagine, he's a jazz musician from Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> and here we are. We show up at this ashram that my friend sent me to. My friend was like, you two need to go to this ashram before your baby's born. I was like, okay. She sends us to this ashram. It's all white people with saris and bindi dots. And I remember JD just couldn't take it. JD was just <laughs> like, <laughs> JD was like, he was like, I, I don't even know what this is. He was like, it's giving me a headache. I can't, I can't stay here. I gotta go. And I was like, I had been there for like one day or so. And I was like, well, then fine, you can go, but I'm staying. And I too was like, what is this? I couldn't understand it. Like I'd never been to an ashram. I'd never really been exposed that deeply to like Eastern philosophy on that level. Remember, I just found my own way of practicing yoga and here I am at this ashram and it was a Siddha Yoga ashram and Guru Mai was there. And so when Guru Mai came out, everyone started following her like she was Jesus. And that really weirded both of us out. We were, we were like, where are we? Like everyone is following her as she walks through. And the interesting thing though, was I connected to her. We were standing on the sideline watching her and watching everyone. And then she was able to connect with me. She like linked in with, you know, we were like eye to eye with each other. 
And I swear she transmitted to me that she was just like, you don't have to do this. That's what I felt her say to me. Like when she looked in my eyes and she was watching us observe, she was just like, you don't have to do this. And I think what she meant by you don't have to do this, it was the following part. <laughs> that was the part that was like, <laughs> I was a little weirded out by. <laughs> so JD ends up leaving me there. I end up staying and I'm still not understanding. I'm like trying to figure it out culturally, mm-hmm. just trying to like, what is this? Why am I here? But I'm here. Then one morning I woke up and I did the sadhana at four o'clock in the morning. And when I heard the tablas and I heard the Om Namo Shivaya and I heard them chanting, everyone disappeared. The whole place disappeared. And I just like was able to click in to like a cellular memory of like, I know this. I've done this. Like it was so, uh, it just makes me want to cry right now. That's how like amazing, how it was that kind of homecoming. I like went into some kind of cellular memory and it was like, whatever wasn't familiar became, it didn't matter anymore. Like the people that were there that I was trying to figure out why are these people wearing bindi dots? Why are they all dressed in saris? And where, and where are the Indians? Like, like, I, was like, I was like, where are they? The only Indian I see is Guru Mai. I don't see no more Indians. <laughs> and Guru Muktananda on the walls. Mm-hmm. But all of that disappeared. All of that, that who am I and who are these people disappeared. The lines of separation disappeared. The, the, I don't know this became, oh no, I do know this. I don't know how I know this, but I know this. And I, not only do I know this, I need this. And it was just so profound. It was so profound. And, and then I, you know, started using that mantra with Jaya when she was born and it became started something that I would chant a lot. It was so wild how yoga came into my life. And it was really through my daughter. Mm-hmm. Now I see people having a hard time. I get it. I am having a great time. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. I'm having the time of my life and I sometimes feel a little bit guilty. I'm like, what's going on? I don't know. I'm just having a great time. But <laughs> not to say I don't have hard times or bad times. I do as well. But I have such a reservoir of tools to pull from. And that being, you know, essentially all the tools that I've been given and practicing over the, you know, over my lifetime. And, you know, when I say as a child, I was a seeker. I really was like, I've always been a seeker. I remember as a child, you know, hearing about an aunt who was into voodoo. And I remember being so excited and being like, oh, my God, (laughs) I couldn't wait to go to her house. Every time my great grandmother would take me to her house, I'd be snooping around. I'd be looking for stuff and I would I would never find anything. I would never find any trace of anything. But but it showed me that that I definitely am someone who needs um, a different path. That's how I looked at it now that I am older. You know, I was always looking. I was always looking. I was always looking. I was always looking. I was always searching. I was always searching. And it was really about God. It really was. It wasn't just about searching about um, an easier way. It wasn't that. It was like, God, I know that there's more to this. 
Like that's what it was for me. It was like, I want the more show me the more, give me the more I, I need more. Like I can't do it this way. This is too simple to think that I'm just a child of God and that I can say things in Jesus's name. And then all my sins are going to be taken away. I can't do it. Like, no, I need more than that. Like I need to, I need to feel you. I need to feel it. I need to understand metaphysically what's going on in my body. Why do I have this body? You know? So like for me, that's what happened. So I wanted to take this just a slightly different direction here. One of the just kind of useful and provocative concepts that I've found in Kundalini yoga um, is this, there's like a paradox, right? The paradox is these practices take us deeper into our body mind in a way that um, takes us into the depths of our emotions and allows us to surface pains of the past and really heal and kind of shine light on the places of closure that we carry in all of us, right? Like I have felt that. It's, it's kind of the descending path, right, of, of shadow work and like reclaiming, you know, the energy of, of the wounds of the past. Simultaneous to that is the other end of the paradox, which is this idea that where we place our attention is what is going to grow. And when we place our um, attention on things such as uh, joy and prosperity and um, kind of all the good things of, that we all want, right, that we, we d we're, we're, it's like we're feeding or watering some other part of the garden that will grow. And there's, to the, to the degree that I've heard in some Kundalini yoga classes, not yours, but like that we're actually like bypassing all of the pain if we just choose this concept of like, it's like an ascending orientation, right? Like we just choose joy and it will happen. We choose uh, abundance and it will happen. And we, we bypass all of the kind of garbage of the past. And I've always felt the tension between these two kind of views. And I think Kundalini Yoga actually, there's a space for both, right? And I'm just curious how you personally hold this and yeah. how you think about this paradox of like ascension, uh, some would call bypassing. By the way, I think there's some shadow in that, right? Like I, I think that there's some narrow, narrow views in this like ascendant kind of love and light above all things point of view where we miss an opportunity to, re to really heal the wounds of the past. But I also think there's some virtuous aspect of this where there, it, it is a choice. Like we do make a choice, right? And so I'm just curious for you, like how do you, how do you live in that paradox of kind of ascent, ascendant spirituality and descendant kind of soul work? I love it. I'm so grateful you brought that in because I'm going to tell you the truth. It's both. Yeah. And anyone who's trying to do just one does not get it. Amen. Yeah. They do not get it. And that is okay because... Everyone has to be where they're at. And I'm in deep acceptance of where people are at. And I am deep, I'm deeply, deeply accepting even people who are in spiritual leadership may not get it all. And especially with Kundalini. And you're right. Kundalini yoga has often been sold as a bliss pill, as a prosperity mantra, <laughs> as a get rich plan. Yep. It's like... And, you know, I definitely am one. I love the bling. Okay. I am the first, <laughs> I am the first to tell you I fell in love with Kundalini yoga because Yogi Bhajan was blinged out <laughs> and I love fashion. 
And I was like, great, I can keep my fashion <laughs> and I can do the spiritual walk. I'm in. I was uh-huh. like, count me in. I don't have to give up. I don't have to give up all the stuff I love. You know, fine, I can do it. And and that's cool. I like mm. that. Right. Mm. But at the same time, I feel there's a lot of misunderstandings of the truth of what Kundalini itself is. Mm. And I feel there's a lot of wisdom that Yogi Bhajan himself, being the master of Kundalini Yoga, was not able to bring to the table. And this idea of, and I think there's also a lot of misconstruing and mis, um, misunderstanding of maybe what his aim was or his objective was, because I often feel like he would always say, this brings you prosperity. This brings you prosperity. And I almost feel like he would say it because he knew that was a good hook to get people to do the practice, to hook them in because he knew how, how um, much, how material we are in the Western culture. We're very materialistic. So if, if you tell me this is going to bring me prosperity, then naturally I'm already in, you know what I mean? So I think that was a part of it. But the truth of the matter of what you're saying is so true. It's like, if we think we're just going to just bypass the gook of life and bypass the shadow work and bypass, see, because it's not just about ascending. Ascending doesn't even make sense without descending. To me, it's both. You have to descend in order to ascend. And, the, and it's always going to be both. You're always going to be rooting and grounding and getting more and more embodied as you ascend, as you become lighter, as you, and it's, you have to be both because if you don't become both, then what will end up happening is most people who don't do both, they end up becoming just people who are in the ethers. They're not grounded. They're not rooted. They're almost untouchable on, on, on a level of like, they can't be around people. They're not, they can't live their purpose because they're so sensitive and they're so, I don't even know what that is. I can't even relate to it. And just, and just living from wounds, right? Like there's, there's a lot of unhealed kind of childhood trauma or, or, you know, just the trauma that we all get just through life. If, if that's not tended to, and we just are in a place of bypassing, then we're, we're going to be in a more reactive state. The karma of the past is going to continue to to live through us if we're not metabolizing and turn into it, right? I think we all take it all with us. There's no mm-hmm. getting rid of anything. Right. And that's the one thing about Kundalini Yoga that I like to explain to people. You can't get rid of things that have happened to you. So anything that's happened to you is with you. You're never going to get rid of it. As a matter of fact, what will happen is you'll heal on a certain level and then you'll be good. And then one day, maybe four years later, all of a sudden you revisit and you realize, oh my God, I thought I healed that. Why am I dealing with this? Why is this coming up? I thought I dealt with that. And it's like, no, you did deal with it, but now you get to deal with it on a whole nother level. That's right. And that to me is how it all works. It's never, I never like to sell Kundalini yoga as a bliss train because I feel like it's the opposite. (laughs) I remember, I remember when my life fell apart 
after like three years of like strong practice. And then all of a sudden my life was in shambles and I wanted to leave my husband. And I was thinking, what the hell is going on? Why is my life falling apart? I have such a strong practice. I have a strong sadhana. I'm doing all the, I'm doing all the things. I'm meditating all day long. Like what's going on? And the truth of the matter is what's going on is your life will crack open. And when your life cracks open, it's not necessarily going to feel good when you start to crack open and when life starts to pull you in new directions, it doesn't always feel good. It's not, it's not about feeling good to me. It's not about feeling good anymore in life. It's more about, like I said earlier, it's like having a bandwidth. How fast can you rebound? How fast can you not even about how fast, but how can you, how can you get from point A to point B? Mm-hmm. How can you get from point A to point Z? It's kind of like when I was coming here today, I got stuck in that traffic jam and I was losing my mind <laughs> <laughs> and I cracked my own self up. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I've got like mantra music playing. I'm <laughs> losing my mind. I'm cussing out everyone around me and I'm cracking myself up at the same time. And then finally I was able to get a grip, you know, finally I was able to use my own talk to myself of like, okay, girl, just calm down. Just, Mm. there's nothing you can do right now, but be in this. I'm not going to lie. My mind went crazy. My mind was like, going into, see, this is why you are where you are right now in life. Like, like, like my mind went into the mind trip of like beating me up. The negative mind started like going in and and then I was checking it out. I was like, wow, look at Mm -hmm. that bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to that bullshit right now. Uh Do you see what's going on right now? Wow. Check it in, check it all the way in. And that to me, that to me is the ascension. Yes. That's the ascension. That's what, this, is where, <laughs> this is where practice works, right? This is a great example of practice works. When we have the nervous system capacity and we have the, the width that you're talking about, we can get wide enough in our life, in our consciousness, where those voices that inevitably emerge, no matter how much work we've done on ourselves, those voices will emerge that will beat ourselves up and keep ourselves, keep ourselves small. We get wide enough and we begin to be able to take different points of view around it. and, and we. The volume on these voices over time, if we're yes. in a place of deep practice and healing the wounds of the past, the volume just gets turned down and we can make the choice yeah. that you made, which is like, that is some fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it down, right? So Kundalini Yoga has like given me so much. I mean, it has been there for me. Uh, when I went through my divorce, I practiced like just so rigorously every day and it was like this tremendous lifeline for me. I used it to heal some stuff around my thyroid. It's just been this like, yeah, just like a lifeline for me in really hard times. And in the way that you, the ways that you described, it's also like I have built uh, like my capacity and there's like a width about me and a groundedness that, you know, I attribute to these practices. And at the same time, there is like this complicated legacy around it that I just would be remiss if I didn't ask you about because it's like something that I struggle with um, in a certain way. And, you know, um, so specifically like, you know, the, this Yogi Bhajan was this man who brought it from the East into, to take root in, in North America. 
And since he's passed, and it's been you know a couple of decades, I think at this point, um, there have been in recent times like accusations of abuse, and recently, just in the last few years, right? And it's been very disorienting for me personally about how to make sense of that. There's so much uh, good, so much generativity that these practices have brought. So many people changed so many lives, and there's also this karmic. Uh, tale of his abuse. And I'm just curious how you personally make sense of this. Oh, I'm so happy you asked. Um, yeah, it's this is so rich, this part for me. Um, it's been an, an ongoing process. And I've come to realize that great people can do great things and can do great fucked up things as well. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. We see this all the time. All we see this the time. all the time. Not not excusing it, not bypassing it. It's a reality. There are many people that have come to this planet that have embodied that are high beings maybe even that had the capacity to bring forth incredible works and that have done incredible crazy stuff in the meantime. So that's one part. The other part, I will say to those who grew up around Yogi Bhajan and may have been victims of everything that's been coming out, um, you know, my heart goes out to them just because it must be extremely painful and confusing mm -hmm. to have been in that realm where you're living in something that's dark, but yet so light. And it, it, I'm sure it's confusing as hell. And mm -hmm. it might even be hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not one to say that Yogi Bhajan definitely did everything that everyone's accusing him of. And I'm not one to say that Yogi Bhajan didn't do everything. Because mm -hmm. I'm just going to be so seriously truthful and transparent. I have to be kind of a space holder and a sense where the teachings are very valuable to me. They're not valuable to me only because they've helped me. I feel a very strong commitment to shielding and protecting the teachings and to making sure that this body stays intact so that it can keep growing and going on to other people because of what it did for me in my life. But also on a woo-woo side, I know that this is a part of my destiny, my dharma, my that is me living in my radiant body, just on a metaphysical level. When this thing happened, when this eruption happened, it felt like an explosion happened with the teachings and in the community. And it felt honestly necessary. It felt necessary because it felt like it broke the space open where like I could see Kundalini Yoga growing. And I could see Kundalini Yoga growing in a, in a new way and in a different way and not being so dogmatic. And Yogi Bhajan, you know, I almost feel like he set us up in a way. Like he would say things like, love the teachings, not me. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. he yeah. would say all these things. He's such a, uh, I, I used to call him the master MC because he's such a good MC. But he would say things like, love the teachings, not me. He would say things like, 
I can't remember some of the other things, but it would ring when I was in the, that space of being angry, being upset, being feeling like confused, feeling like, how could you, how could this, how could you be this person and hold such an incredible space and yet do all these things? So I have to tell you something. I was in denial in the beginning. I was very much like he's passed away. He is not here to speak for himself. He is not here to say to his part. So how do we just believe everything? You know, that's not, that's really just not how I operate at the same time. So one day I was in deep, deep, deep meditation. And I'm just going to say the truth. You know, I, I just one day was like yelling at him, (laughs) you know, at his picture. I had taken his picture down. I put it in another area. I didn't have it in my studio. Then, you know, I like went through all these different things. And then, so one day I was just yelling. I was so upset. I was just like, I need you to tell me. I need you to show me. I want to see, like, did you really do this? Are you really capable of doing this? Is this possible? Could you possibly have been this person? And the most interesting thing happened that night. I ended up having dinner with a very good friend of mine who's from India. She doesn't know anything about what I, my meditation. So one day, one night we were talking, we're having this amazing conversation. This is like right after that meditation, like that same day. And she started telling me about her life and she started telling me about the abuse she went through as a child. And she said something so profound to me. She said, Siri Rishi, my father and my uncle are so respected. They are heroes from the community I come from. They have helped so many people. Everyone loves them. They would never imagine the abuse that I went through. Something about her story and my meditation was like almost like an answer for me. And I remember just feeling like, wow, that's so weird. That's so crazy how that just came in at this timing. And it felt like it was what I needed to hear. Over, you know, these couple of years, you know, I've I've had people confront me, like, how can I have his picture up, you know, some because I still have his picture up in my studio and I still bring I bring him into my trainings. And the reason I bring him in is because I feel like everything is a teaching. Everything is a lesson. It's like it's not about like, let's go hide him and cut him out of all the books and put him away. Like, no, it's like, let him be there. And this is my thing that I say to people in my training. The root is very important. You must always understand where something is coming from, especially if it's spiritual practices. If you sever the root, you will not be rooted. And I really wholeheartedly believe that. You have to honor roots of where you take information from. If you're a Native American, if you're, if you're, let's say, um, harvesting herbs, you ask that plant, is it okay? Do I have your permission? You honor that root. 
And so I feel that way with Kundalini yoga, what he did or what he may have done, or maybe he did all of it. Maybe he did some of it. I'm not sure I was not there. What I will say is it is in his human capacity to have done it because there are many, many masters like himself who have done crazy things. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make me say that what he taught as far as the Kriyas, the meditations, the system doesn't work. No, the system is impeccable. The system is incredible. The system of Kundalini yoga is powerful. The system of this, this yoga is going to take us so deep into this Aquarian age and give us even more. And I believe that this system of yoga is evolving. I believe that Kundalini yoga has more to share more. And I feel like it's our job to find those new teachings of it. But how are we going to find those new teachings? If one, we're going to sever the root and two, we're just going to throw the whole thing away. Like, no, honor the root. Yeah. And so this explosion has been challenging and messy and um, maybe in some ways very necessary. And it brings us to this moment, which is an opportunity for the teachings to evolve mm. and to um, meet the moment that we're all in now. And my goodness, there's no one better <laughs> to guide that evolution than my friend Siri Rishi, right? So this is this is the great benefit of that, right? Like now we're now we're in 2022. What are these? How how do these practices meet the moment we're in now, right? And um, so you know, in that sense, I think we're all in very good hands that we have have this uh, just wonderful high priestess uh, guiding us. So if people want to practice with you they want to find out more about your work and and um, how do they find you um well i teach here at temple 143 in brooklyn in bedsty brooklyn i teach in person and i teach online right wonderful so we will throw the links to your studios and your website in our show notes you can practice with siri rishi i also recommend giving her a follow on instagram she just drops some gems and give <laughs> you some inspiration on your instagram page so thank you so much for joining us today siri Luke, rishi thank you thank you so much for bringing me in thank you so much for ev all the amazing questions and all the dives that we just did i appreciate you so much and yeah. I love this wild, crazy wisdom <laughs> community. <laughs> yes. Siri Rishi, thank you. Satnam. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. And maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our crazy wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy. 